Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, dear, valued, lovely listener or watcher, if you're catching us live on the stream as we go live straight away after what was quite frankly an appalling performance from Arsenal uh, at Villa Park today. Uh, we're in February 2021 and not only are we all stuck at home having to deal with this effing pandemic for what seemed like forever, we're also having to deal with what, frankly, was, I felt, a pretty depressing performance. And the reason why it's a depressing performance, and I'll introduce our guests in a minute, but I've got to go soapbox just for a couple of minutes, um, is that what I saw today was pre-Christmas Arsenal. And what I mean by that is a team that had absolutely nothing in the final third now, there was a couple of instances where we could have fashioned a few chances. There was a few knocks, a few deflections that fell into Emmy Martinez's hands. But frankly, I found that a really turgid and depressing watch. And so I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes talking to you about it. <laughs> so I'm lucky. Um, and I'm going to bring some, uh, some friends in because I'm sure they're going to have their say as well. So let's introduce them from uh, top right as you're watching this. So if you're listening to it, that's going to sound a little bit weird. But top <laughs> right is uh, Paul, which is Invincible. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. It's the hope that kills you in the end. It's the hope that kills you. Yes, indeed. Uh, Mark, bottom right. Uh, all right, Trooper? Yeah, another weekend ruined and it's not even what, half two. So, yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> and we you. have... And we have the man from over the pond, Mr. Tactics. Um, I really, really want to get your view. I'm going to move to you first, actually, Mike. Um, say hello and then talk to me initially about the starting lineup and then what happened in that, the opening and exchanges, please. Because did Arteta get it wrong from a tactical point of view or was he let down by just lacklustre individual performances today? Yeah, well, hello everybody. Um, the starting lineup I thought was fair and right, and in my opinion, which is what does that matter? But um, so that was fine. I, I felt Pepe needed to start because he deserved to start over Abamyang, and so no problem there. And the two changes were enforced. So starting lineup certainly wasn't the problem today. The problem today was that the first half looked like extra time. Um, I was looking at it thinking, what does this look like? You know. I mean, I could just say the first half looked like the way you should look in the second half where you're more fatigued and tired, but it, it looked beyond that. It was just so slow, but just the, it just looked so sloppy and leggy, um, uh, lazy in their movement, and not not much running off the ball. So, uh, and what you would expect from a team and excuse them in extra time in a football match because they don't have any legs anymore. And then you look at the second half, and I know that they were losing and they had no choice, but we saw a team with energy and zip and um, ball movement and tempo. And But how many times this season have Arsenal played well in two halves? Was it the West Brom game and then the last game maybe? Or the one before that? But the, the list is less than five. Um, and, and the first tactical point I'll, I'll put in, I understand why Arsenal do this, is the connector is Smith-Rowe. And Smith-Rowe... Uh, had a very quiet first half because we weren't moving the ball quickly enough across the field. Now, he positions himself on the opposite side of the field to where the ball is. It's very interesting. And that's a tactical thing. If you can get the ball across the field quickly, you've got an overload on the other side. So he's not there for the first pass. 
And if you watch that first off, you'll see that he's almost invisible. So, but, but that's not, you know, the coach has asked him to do that. And it's not his fault if the ball's not being hit across the field quickly enough to use that overload. So I don't know what was said or not said or why they started so sluggish and slowly. I suppose um, the goal probably had a bearing on it and they were mm. just in shock, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. Mark, do you think that base that goal basically chucked everything out the window? And how much do you want to throw Cedric under the bus for this? Because he's been good for the last few games, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he has been good. He's, he's done a good job when you consider he's right, right foot of playing over that side. And we all sort of like creamed our pants about his uh, crossfield ball at West Brom, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, but um, he, he's always... He, He's always going to kind of going to get maybe caught out eventually. Um, today, I mean, you, you've got to be. Everyone knows you've got to be switched on right from the off. And unfortunately, I, I don't know what he was doing. The, the, the little layback just—it was awful. You know, he didn't—he didn't execute it properly. Mate, even if it's the right idea, he didn't execute it properly uh, and left Gabriel in no man's land. And then holding in the middle just really doubled up on the, on the issue by ball watching and not being anywhere near aware of where Watkins was, made it far too easy. And then obviously with the deflection as, as well, left, you know, you got to feel sorry for Ryan three minutes into his debut. Yeah. Um, he's undone by um, a deflection, but um, no, I, I think it, it goes back to what Mike says. It's just whilst that goal will knock you off, you know, everything you've spoken about, you know, Arteta's probably in there going, right, you know, let's keep it tight. And in three minutes, it's gone out the window, not due to any great attacking play by Villa, but by self-implosion as usual. Um, it does knock you back, but th that doesn't really excuse the next 42 minutes of football, which as Mike said, it, 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 it did, it looked like a team who, uh, who you know, who, who were playing uh, the second half of extra time. They mm. look really, really leggy, really slow, and uh, pretty much lacking in in the kind of quick interplay, which unfortunately is literally the only thing we've got at the moment. The, the interplay between Saka, ESR, um, and and like when Lacazette can get involved, and when Party Party starts that with his balls. If we haven't got that, then we really kind of do struggle, particularly once you're one 0 down, and and you know Villa are going to kind of defend that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've had uh, plenty of comments through Facebook and also through YouTube. Um, please uh, put your comments in. We'll try to read out uh, Paul, our resident um, guru on the uh, the chats is going to uh, feature any of the interesting things that come up. Obviously, Stephen Duran has said rubbish and Ryan Purser said rubbish. Hard to disagree with that. And Hilal on YouTube has said, what does William actually bring to the team? Trust me, Hilal, let's get through this. I will certainly have a plenty to say about Willian because, frankly, the guy is a joke. But let's come to that. We'll go chronologically in terms of how this game panned out. Paul, um, any any more thoughts on that first half? Anyone that stood out for you as not being pants? <laughs> it's a well-phrased question there. Um, I tweeted, I think, um, at the end of the first half that the only person that I felt had kind of done anything decent was Shaka, funnily enough. I thought he was putting in some great through balls. He was trying his, his hardest to tie, you know, tie up the defense, which looked a bit um, looked shaky. I, I, you know, I think 
most of the back line had a had a pretty shoddy game. Um, Gabriel seemed he seemed a little headstrong. He, he seems like he's like even like a simple pass seems like a like a, a huge mission to him. Um, Bellerin, as we mentioned before, was shit. Uh, Cedric didn't have his his finest um, game. Holding was holding. I think Holding is probably probably one of the most consistent players over the last few games. He doesn't do anything spectacular, but um, he always seems to be the one in the air, like retrieving the ball. And um, yeah, I think um, in that first half, the only person that kind of redeemed himself a little bit was Shaka, to be honest. I thought Xhaka and Party were okay in the middle of the park. I thought Party in the first half, I thought Party gave the ball away a couple of times, which I, I was a bit disappointed with. If you think about how he started the Wolves game, you know, his precision with his passing within the first few seconds, he's putting the ball on a, on an absolute plate to Saka. And what we saw today was Party just maybe trying a little bit too hard. But I want to talk about fullbacks now um, because Mike, I think we've got a real issue here because if you compare, I don't think Aston Villa were any great shakes, if I'm completely honest. I thought, you know, they got a deflected goal at the beginning and they had a couple of chances, which Ryan, you know, credit to him, Matt Ryan, he's had a good game today, I thought. But yeah. um, I thought that Aston Villa were all right, but their fullbacks did what you'd expect fullbacks to do. They made blocks, they, they cut off passing lanes. Um, there was instances, though, when we've got the ball and we're pressing forward and I saw very little from our fullbacks to get me excited. What I'm talking about, defensively, average at best, I'd say, Mike. But going forward, I mean, there was one particular instance where we'd sprung the ball from back to front. And Bellerin's got the ball on the right-hand side. And you've got Saka that's just going in between. He's looking for the pass in behind the fullback and the centre-half. He's made a good run. And Bellerin just P-rolls a pass straight to, I think it was, I don't know if it's Cash or Target that's playing left-back, but one of those fullbacks who just, just straight at him. And I genuinely feel like we have an issue with Bellerin because I just don't think technically he's that great. And although we can say Cedric is at fault for the goal, you know, he's a left, he's a right back playing at left back. And I think he's an average right back for the Premier League, which is who we are, an average Premier League team. You know, we're stuck mid table. Chances are we drop a put, we're going to drop a, a place or two after this defeat today, given the games in, in hand that we've lost as well. But Mike, talk to me about your thoughts on what, what happened with the fullbacks today. Well, Cedric did not have a good game, but I'm not going to be um, a fan that, says Cedric was brilliant one week, brilliant the week before, and now I want to get rid of him, but he can't play left-back and all those reactionary things. So he just had a poor game, and, it, and it, of course it started in the first minute and his touch was just off. So um, so that's that. Um, Bellerin, um, I, I've been over Hector Bellerin for many, many years, so I just don't know if this is going to sound a scratch record to, to people that have heard me talk about Hector Bellerin, but... Um, Hector Bellerin essentially did what he does most every single week. He's a, to me, he's a seven out of ten defender, and he's a six out of ten at best attacker. And people seem to think it's the other way around, and that's fine. Everyone's, of course, entitled to their own, own opinion. But um, Hector Bellerin uh, gets the ball on the right wing every single week and passes it backwards over and over and over. And sometimes, of course, that's the right idea because you want to switch play or give it to a more gifted player. But if you play again for Arsenal Football Club, I think Arsenal Football Club deserve a right-back that has the um, talent and the will to try it occasionally to beat his full-back or play a 1-2 or whatever it might be. Because if 
whether you're categorized as a right back a defender you spend the vast majority of your time playing for a, a top club on the wing so you have no choice but to practice what you're going to do in that situation and Hector Berrin um, is just passive he just gets the ball and just passes the buck that's that sums it all up to me, that phrase. Hector Bellerin just always passes the buck. Every once in a while, you'll see him make a good run off the ball, which is, is, is his strength, off the ball. And if he's played the ball, then he's in and his crossing is decent at best. But mm. he has so... Chris, he has so much possession for Arsenal. If you saw the statistics of how, in a game, how much ball Hector Bellerin has compared to most fullbacks in the league, he has such a high number of touches and what he does with those touches is just simply pass the buck so to me when Tierney's fit of course Tierney plays and Cedric plays on the right and then next uh, season Arsenal and I've been saying this for many many seasons Arsenal need a better right back they need somebody who is a seven eight nine out of ten defender because that's his main job and a far greater threat a, a guy that has multiple um you know, he's a Swiss army knife of a fullback is what we need. A, a guy, I mean, Hakimi Ashraf is the guy who's um, is currently at Inter is one. You've got Lamptey at Brighton. There's Reese James if Tuchel, you know, continues to not play him. You've got guys who, when they receive the ball, they can pass and move. They can run off the ball, but they can beat you with power, pace, skill. Arsenal need and deserve somebody who has more strings to their bow than Hector Bellerin. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I have an affection for Hector Bellerin. You know, he's come through the... All right, we, we pinched him from Barcelona, but he's come through the ranks at the club and he's been unfortunate with injuries and he looked like one hell of a player when he was when he had pace and when he was getting beyond people and in a different team. But I think we need to... I'm with you, Mike. I'm on the boat with you, mate. We need to move away from Hector Bellerin because performances like today are all too often. Um, I want to move just on sorry, to... I want to throw one thing in here, Chris, is just from throw-ins alone, the guy needs to... I don't know. If he's not doing a foul throw-in, he's picking the worst possible... I mean, the number of times in that game that he put us under pressure by making the wrong choice at throw-ins, like when we're in our half and we need to get it up, he's always giving it to some guy who's under pressure... And, and we're losing control and it's it put us under huge pressure you know and it's yeah. it, it happens a lot of time sorry yeah no no you're right mate you're right and it's frustrating he took hell, he, he took he took one towards the end of the game to Aubameyang who'd admittedly come for it but it was never going to go anywhere and, and literally we lost the ball straight away which led to them having a shot you know that's I just mean, to go re reinforce Paul's point I mean he's I just, uh, yeah, I just, um, I think I agree. We need an upgrade there quite desperately. Yeah. For do the you next know what? Um, do you know? I thought to myself, um, when was it? Um, I think it was. Uh, who were we playing at right back just in the Invincible season, just before Ra Lauren joined? And I remember we signed Lauren, and I thought to myself, why are we signing him? We don't. Do we really need him? Um, but it became clearly obvious. I'll tell you a second example of that. When we signed Monreal, I thought. What are we signing Monreal for? We've got Gibbs. The guy's young. He's English. He's a decent left back. He seems good. Why are we signing him? But it quickly became apparent just the dearthing quality from Gibbs's perspective compared to Monreal. And that's where we're at, I think, with, with Bellerin. I think we need to look beyond um, what we've got. And a really good shout out. Simon Tilly on uh, Facebook has said he misses Tierney. I tell you what, Simon, we all miss Tierney. And something somebody said to me on uh, Twitter earlier on today, imagine an equivalent of Tierney on the right-hand side 
with yeah. Tierney, how different we would be as a side. So that's just food for thought, I think. But let's talk about contentious points. Now, Mark, you and I have a running uh, bit of banter on uh, Twitter, <laughs> whereby whenever I question every uh, decision, any decision from a referee, you put a picture of a Premier League referee pulling a slightly confused po- uh, 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 sort of face. Should, was it Const- Conta? Should he have been sent off? Your opinions, please. Personally speaking, and I know, again, I'm going to be in a minority here. I don't think he should have been sent off, no. I mean, apart from anything, when you look, and and to be, I'm not quite sure why BT Sport, they may have looked at it post-game, I don't know, but I'm not too sure why they never even looked at it at all at half-time. You know, they must have thought it was so inconsequential it didn't deserve it. But when you see the challenge, you know, Saka and uh, Konza are both challenging for the ball. They're side-by-side. You know, there's, there's, Saka's got a fight for the ball. Konza's got a fight for the ball. That's football. Konza catches him and, and he does foul him. Yeah. But I don't think it's a red card because of where it is. It's, it's, it's a long way out from the goal. It's quite wide out from the goal. There's a Villa defender in the centre who's probably five yards behind the, where, you know, the, the parallel line for the ball. But, you know, I would say that's, it's not denying and, and the rule is an obvious goal scoring opportunity i don't believe it's a, it's an obvious goal scoring opportunity for that reason so i don't think it was a red card i know that that goes against things and and particularly i knew today i knew what today was going to be like given mm-hmm. what happened uh, earlier this week um that, that that we would be we would be going absolutely mental with any single decisions that didn't go our way. And lo and behold, you had one that, that, that was enough enough of a controversy to uh, to get people going. I didn't think it was a red card, but I understand that a lot of people will. You know, there were people posting clips of Arteta getting sent off at Palace a, f- uh, a good few years back and saying, you know, what's the difference? But there, there, there were there were differences, which, you know, I can't, just can't be asked going into, but because it's just too easy. We're football fans. It's an emotive sport and we love our team. And, and we, you know, we all want to think if it's not the team, then it must be the, the bent referees going against us um, mm. rather than look at, look at actually the problems of our own making. So I understand that, but I didn't think it was a red. I mean, I think I'm sort of on, on the boat with you. I think I, so my issue is what's been com- the reason it's been compounded is because you've got Bruno Fernandez. So so we've seen instances where VNR are taking taking situations that look horrendous in slow motion or when you've got like video stills or that sort of stuff. And they're saying, hold on, ref, have a look at that. That's a red card. And we've seen we've we've fallen foul of that a couple of times. So you look at the Bruno Fernandez situation. And then you look at the uh, the Aubameyang situation last season against Crystal Palace. You know, it seems to the, the frust- I think the frustration amongst fans is it seems to me that unless players start screaming every time the ball's touched, like uh, the challenge against Newcastle on Smith Row, where the guy was basically not touched but screamed because he wanted to get Smith Row sent off, and then VAR thankfully came in our favour. Because we're seeing this sort of stuff, because we're then seeing what's happened. So you've got the Fernandez situation. You've then got the Louise situation from midweek. You're right. It's then pent up into a, right, if anyone touches any of our players now, then we're going to say, well, hold on a second. What's the uh, what's the issue here? We're always looking for a pantomime villain. Right now, it's VAR and the refs. But I, th- I make you right. I, if that had been an Arsenal player, 
I'd have been really cheesed off. But at the same time, there's a tiny bit at the back of my head, which is if that had been David David Louise, it wouldn't have surprised me if he'd have been sent off. But let's, and let's I, move I on. Go on. A lot, of, a lot of people said that as well. You know, oh, if that was Louise, it was a red card, which is an easy thing to say. You know, no, David Louise is just a poor defender. And each time he's been sent off, he's deserved to be sent off. And it's his own fault he's been sent off. So I don't know why people bother going on about it. Yeah, just look at, you know, you just look at David Luiz rather than looking at the other stuff. But you, you and, and I get it completely. The Bruno Fernandes one on Xhaka, I mean, that should be a red card. It's a horrendous foul. Knows yeah. what he's doing. The only intention is to do what he did. And he should get a red card for that. Today, and going back to your point about the scream, you know, I think Party caught one of the players and he, he, he screamed. Um, and the ref then came back and, and booked party for it. But, you know, one of their players, uh, Trezeguet, I think, clobbered Jacker at one point, but he didn't go back and book him. So I do understand that there's an awful lot of inconsistencies. You know, no one thinks that refs are poor in this country. They are incompetent, and they've actually managed to take a tool which should make it easier for them to do a better job and actually make it worse. Only in this country, only in the Premier League, could you actually take a tool that's supposed to make their job easier and make things worse. Yeah, mm. but that, that's what... And then I get why everyone's getting But I think also you need to look at an incident and you need to just actually look at it and think, hold on. Let me just take the fact that I'm really mad about this out of the equation and look at what's happened. And, you know, and, mm. and don't try and judge that on the fact that Bruno Fernandes should have got sent off for his, his tackle on, on, on Xhaka. Because, because at the end of the day, it has no bearing on it. Look yeah. at each action individually and not as yeah. part of some wider conspiracy thing. But I do understand why people think that we are hard done by, you know, to, because it, it seems that way. But look, all, all, all fans of every club probably think they get harder decisions going against them than they yeah. get going in their favour. Yeah, and Paul, you were going to say something. Yeah, um, Lee Dixon agrees with you, uh, Mark. He was on the, the DSTV show we watch in South Africa. He was the halftime pundit. And he said, there's no way that that's a red card. Um, it's so far, I mean, it's practically in the other half. There's, there's a this whole slew of defenders running back that are likely to get there at around the same time Saka would have. And... Um, you know, there was there was a little bit of um, handbags and shirt pulling and stuff, but from both sides, because actually, you know, the concept of, you know, pulled Saka's shirt and Saka pulled his shirt, it was, it was a bit of a mess. But <clears throat> what was interesting, and this is kind of, you know, it has to do with your talk about refs, is, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's a tendency for us to want to believe that they're corrupt and not just incompetent. Um, because obviously we have, we've got a cognitive distortion that every time it happens to us, it only happens to us. Um, I, I think we are unlucky. I think that a lot of decisions seem to not go our way that that have gone, you know, the other way in other matches, sometimes on the same weekend. Um, but, you know, I, I think Arsene Wenger had said at one stage that there were only two leagues that had professional match officials. And neither of them had um, referees that represented that were chosen to represent in the World Cup. Isn't that um, isn't that kind of telling? You know, the PG MOL. You know, none of them invited to to referee at the World Cup because, basically, I think that they make the, the wrong decision a lot of time. It's a real cabal. You know, they kind of they back each other up in their shitty decisions, and it's, yeah. it's tough. 
Okay, but I mean, we've we spent three minutes talking about referees, and I really don't think that we should probably dwell on that too much more. Because let's be honest, the performance did this wasn't like Wolves. This was totally different in that this was a pre-Christmas Arsenal. It was not very good. And let's talk about that, Paul. Let's me and you just chat just for a second about that that second half. I was expecting. So what's been happening post-Christmas is that that first 10, 15 minutes, we've seen Arsenal come out with an intensity that has that has seen us really get over the line in terms of getting results. You know, we saw it against Southampton. We've seen it against, well, we went up 2-1 at half time by Southampton, but we've seen it in almost every game. The Wolves game is a, we thought was an outlier, but to be honest with you, I'm starting to think that actually that Wolves first half, that's the outlier. We all talked about that's the blueprint, but much like all those years ago when we managed to carve out a decent defensive performance with Coquelin and Cazorla in that 2-0 Manchester City win away from home and everyone said, oh, is this the blueprint for Arsenal to start playing against the big teams? No, that was an outlier. My worry and concern is that the Wolves first half was an outlier because today just gave us more of pre-Christmas Arsenal. And what did you make of that second half? Because as Mike said, he thought we were better in the second half. And yes, we were a bit, but I still felt like it felt like it was just a, a real slog getting anything. As soon as we got into the final third, everything just felt difficult. And I don't really recall Martinez making too many world beating saves. Do you? You're on mute, and he's on mute. And he's on mute. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. Am I it's on mute? Classic. It's the pandemic. Uh, it's the pandemic bingo. And he's on mute. Go on, mate. Got too many buttons to press. Sorry about that. Um, That's all right. Go. I, I was just going to say, I felt kind of throughout the game that we were more likely to concede than score. Yep. And I think that's because we didn't see the Pepe that, that was supposed to be on fire and who was going to light up the league. I think he resorted to saying, like, making the wrong decision eight out of ten times. Um, you know, yes, Emil Smith-Rowe kind of had a difficult game. I think um, I don't think he was as effective as he has been. Um, Lacazette didn't really have a lot to do. The one time he did have a chance to put Saka through, I don't know if that was. In fact, I think it was in the first half. Um, but I just feel like, you know, um, the second half was, was dominated by forwards that, I mean, Aubameyang, I actually didn't realise he'd come on, you know, uh, didn't even touch the ball. Um, it was shocking. Um, and then Willian, well, I'm sure we'll get to Willian, but, you know, when you just name those those players and, and the game management and the choices and all that kind of stuff, I honestly didn't really ever believe that we looked like we were going to score, to be honest. And putting crosses in that head height to people, I mean, that are they seem incapable of hitting the ball. I'm not sure what that's about. That just seems like a complete waste. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, Sean Egan has said he needs, you know, we need Oban to, uh, Sean Egan on the uh, Facebook has said we need Oban to show up. Um, we've had uh, Simon again saying we aren't far away. We just need a bit of luck and defending. Sharon Watson says we're very poor. Jonathan King says refs are not consistent enough, but we weren't good enough in the final third today. That's a really good point, Jonathan, because I think we were poor in the final third. Um, Mike. You do a uh, blog for Gunnerstown called Positives, Hopes, Needs, Wants. Can you take some positives from that second half or not? Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought Odegaard looked um, like the player that I think he is. I mean, he he raised the tempo two notches when he came on. Everything was one touch, two touch. There were two wonderful balls behind the defence. 
I thought his uh, cameo compared to the rest of the players out there, well, he was on a different level. So, you know, um, that gives us big hope because um, he's not played much. And, um, you know, Smith Rowe has been a little quiet the last few games and maybe needs a physical rest as well. And then if we can bring that guy in, that's going to raise the tempo in the first half, as I said, Chris, because we have a major first half problem at Arsenal. Um, so that was a huge one. And kudos to the keeper. I mean, he did everything uh, that he was asked to do. Uh, and he did it very well. As You know, he had a lot of shots that he had to push to the right place, didn't he? And he pushed them away from the Villa players or off for a corner, which was, um, you know, very good. Um, but uh, Arsenal have a clear penalty box problem, boys. So, you know, mm. I don't know if you want me to go into that. That's not a do positive. It. Do uh, it. Do it. Do it. Okay. Well, that to me was the, the difference in the game. Paul makes a good point. Villa looked like they were far more likely to score, even though they had, you know, 30% uh, possession or whatever it was, because they have players who are more dangerous in the final third, more confident in the final third, and they have a system that is very well um, balanced. Now, this is what Arsenal have got. They've got, you know, in Pepe, they've got a, an inconsistent winger. Of course, he's been very good recently, but you just don't know what you're going to get. And I don't think anybody would ever disagree with that statement. You just don't know what you're going to get. Versus, you know, you look at someone like Jack Grealish, who you do know what you're going to get. Um, with Lacazette, I think Lacazette is the major problem. Lacazette has been very, very good recently, but most of all of his very good is from outside the box. He links play very well. This uh, new combination with Smith Rowe has worked a dream, and I'm not saying you necessarily have to drop Lacazette, but but when the ball uh, gets past him, he um, it's like it's not my favourite thing to do. I prefer to link play, and he seems to lose interest. It's very very mm -hmm. odd. He floats around the penalty spot when there are six-yard tappings week in, week out. And the first half, that was just most frustrating to me. Um, the ball was there to be slid across the six-yard box, and he's standing on top of Smith Rowe in the same position. And he's the centre forward. He should be far more goal-hungry. Uh, but the, the penalty box problem that he has is far more than his lack of movement. And this is why I think he needs replacing. And it's a shame because he's playing well. And part of me says give him another one-year contract so he's worth more and he has deserved it. But his movement in the box, I don't know of a striker in the Premier League has weaker movement in the box. He It's almost like he goes to mark himself. The number of times he went and stood next to Tyrone Mings and just stood next to him and bodied him. And the ball's about mm. to come in. And I'm thinking Tyrone Mings versus Lacazette. It's just it's a non-contest. Lacazette's mm. not quick enough. He's not good enough in the air. He's clearly his movement. He doesn't have any movement in the box. He just makes straight line runs. There's never a run for the defender and a run run to get open. When Aubameyang came on, the one thing he did was that scrap in the six-yard box where they all collided together. And if you watch that, Aubameyang starts moving in, out, in, out, and the defenders don't know where he's going to go. And he created somewhat of a chance. Okay, And there's the difference there. But then you go to a Bamiyang. When you stick a Bamiyang at centre forward and you hit the ball in the air, same as with Lacazette, 10% chance, 5% chance you're going to get a goal. And these guys are centre forwards primarily, and that's just not good enough. I'm sorry. Just like I say Hector Bellerin should get to the training field and figure out a trick and a way to beat somebody, your centre forward, if he's not very good in the air and he doesn't have good movement, go practice it. Go practice it. Uh, and Saka was just... You know, he was fouled out of the game in the in the first half, wasn't he? He was fouled seven times. They were just knocking him down every time he got the ball. But Arsenal have a proper, serious penalty box problem. 
and and there's just no balance. There's just such there's such a, a lack of the fundamental skills that a striker needs, and there's not a single option that we have that offers all of the tools that you need, or even a balance where you've got one guy that's strong and good in the air, and the other guy that's quick and a good finisher. There's nothing there, you know, that, that gives you confidence when the ball's out wide that we're going to get a goal. The only time I feel that, Chris, is when there's a, a cutback and Erdogan yeah. has that one chance of a cutback. It's the only time I feel we're going to score. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Sean Egan's got an option. He's got a uh, he's got an option on the uh, Facebook, and that is Martinelli. And frankly, I mean, it it could be an idea. It could be an idea to have Martinelli in because. It's not working. Uh, Simon on Facebook said that Lacquer has to play. Simon, I absolutely agree with you. Lacquer does have to play for another team. Uh, Mark, um, let's talk about the next few games and actually the rest of the season because I don't know about you, but right now, and maybe this is just the post-match rage that everyone always feels after a defeat, but I kind of feel like the season's probably just petering out at this stage, isn't it? You know, our next three games, our Leeds at home, might get a win there. Man City at home, probably a defeat. Leicester away, right now I feel like probably a defeat. And if Partey is injured again, and let's just, can we also take a second to question, how the hell did Atletico Madrid, how did how the hell did Thomas Partey get through, like, what is it, seven years at Atletico Madrid and get like, in total, he's had about six games he's missed in six years or seven years, something ridiculous. And he's essentially, if he's missing again, if this is an injury other than cramp, we are now going to be missing party for an ex a period of time. How the hell are, are we managing his rehabilitation? Sorry, there's two questions there, Mark. So number one is um, next few games and what do you stand there with the season and what's going to happen? What, what, where, do you, where do you sit with party? Partly, it's difficult for any of us to know really the extent of of what the injury is, whether it's still um, coming on from from the thigh the bad thigh injury that he had, or whether he's just struggling at the moment with um, the pace of the game. I mean, look, you know, he's come from playing for Real Madrid, uh, for Atletico Madrid in the Spanish league, and he's come to the Premier League, uh, where every single week is is a battle. You know, every single week he, he's going to have to work hard. So, you know, maybe he's just having to get used to that. So, you, you know, we, we, we'll have to see. I'm sure party will come good and we need him to, to be to be fair. As for the rest of the season, it, it, it's, yeah, I mean, um, those three games coming up, we Leeds are a hot and cold team. Uh, they, they'll either be dog shit or they'll be well beaters. So you who know knows they'll be well happen. beaters against us, don't you? It, it's, the, it's the normal. The greatest, yeah, that's, that's the greatest attack that you've ever seen. Yeah, that's the normal. That's the normal way it works out, isn't it? And then obviously City and Leicester, two good teams that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna struggle to get anything out of. Um, in terms of league positioning, yeah, I think, you know, you need to if you want to get in, you know, top four is I think is way over Done. the hill. And yep. then um, if 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 a top four team wins the FA Cup, which is kind of normal, then uh, you know fifth and sixth will get Europa. I'm not even sure we 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 can get to six. Although you know, there's a lot. There will be a lot of change in the games that are coming up. Um, so yeah, I think Arteta, Arteta probably needs to think about what he, he's going to do and start looking at uh, who he wants to play, who he thinks is going to be there. You know, he's got two. He's got two two players on loan that he's going to need to think about. Is he going to is he going to have the opportunity to have them, even if he wanted them, one or both of them? I mean, I sincerely hope that Odegaard will come good. 
because I do think I agree with Mikey. He could be an absolutely top quality player, but he's going to have to look, look and, and try and do some different things. And I, I, I mean, Martinelli, you see a lot of people saying, you know, why doesn't Martinelli get on instead of William? And, and that's, it's a really good question, but you have to remember that pre uh, Martinelli's injury, he spent a lot of time on the bench under Arteta already during that period. So, I don't know, is, is there something about Martinelli that doesn't quite fit in with Arteo or does he just not feel his match fit or does he just feel that he's got better, that Martinelli can only really play that wide left forward role and he's got better options? So we need to see what that's about. But yeah, we, you, 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 you know, William, you see William coming on and your heart sinks. I, I, I worry about the subs as well because the subs seem to a lot of the time kill a lot of the momentum. You know, we're, we're doing quite well. We've got quite a head of steam. He brings a sub and it sets us back and it takes us like five to 10 minutes to get back into that groove and then he might make another one. Um, certainly, I don't think the William one gave us anything whatsoever. Um, well, I'll tell you what then, Mark. So, let's, um, I don't know. Experimentation, I'm maybe. I'm going to give a free swim to everyone here on William, um, but I'm going to push ahead of you and dive into the pool first because, frankly, that professional footballer is in retirement village at Arsenal. He has taken his money and said, I tell you what, this is brilliant. I get to live in London. I get to not move house and I can just tick along with Arsenal because literally the second he came on, talk about the biggest downgrade you've ever seen. Thomas Partey was progressive, who controls the ball, who the way he just moves his body, like there are literally players a yard away from Thomas Partey and they don't know if he's going left or right. William comes onto the pitch. He doesn't take anybody on, on the left. He doesn't drive at anybody. He miscontrols the football. Uh, he gave Aston Villa a really good chance where he essentially passed to a Villa player in our final third. Um, who wants to have Who wants to have the second boot in on William, come, who is going to work out to be the single worst free transfer in the history of the Premier League? Who wants to go next? Because Mark oh, said Go on then, Mike. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's all uh, linked to pride. I think Arteta went hard on him. In the, what's that? Spot on. Yeah. I think um, Arteta, uh, apparently he went in on him on, on the summer. He was the one who really pushed hard for Edu as well. And um, and they pushed the boat out to get him, hence his massive wage and, and what have you. So um, I think it's pride. I think that the coach wants to make William the player William was at Chelsea the last few seasons. And so that's why he gets chance after chance after chance. What he has to be very careful of is that there are players being left out of the match day squad. One yesterday who would be a far better option, Reese Nelson, actually tore Absolutely. up the reserve game, just a reserve game. But so he's being left out of the match day squad. You know, Balogun could be in there. Martinelli could be on the field. Absolutely. And, you know, what happens if, and this is a real possibility, what happens if, you know, Martinelli sort of knocks on the coach's door at the end of the season and says, you know, my agent's had some offers from, you know, all these big clubs and you, you're not playing me, and, and I really want to go. And so he's left, you know, Martinelli leaves, and he's left with William. And he looks back and thinks, wow, I don't even want William. But for some reason, my pride got in the way, and I decided to play this guy to try and, you know, get some form out of him. And now I've lost both of them. I've lost, you know, William's no good to me, so he's, you know, and Martinelli's decided to leave, and there's, there's others as well. So that, that's the other thing that you've got to be careful of. I didn't also understand why we've we got two central midfielders on the bench. We had a central midfielder go off and we threw the, some, I don't know what system we were playing at the end, but Sabias and El Nenny were on the bench 
So, but why do we bring on Willie? And that that was astonishing um, decision. But uh, somebody else. It's got to be something to do with Willie does really good Brazilian barbecues, and um, Arteta likes himself a Brazilian barbecue. And he's thinking to himself, I want to get invited as soon as we all come out of lockdown. So if I keep playing him, you know, I'm going to get invited to one of Bra- Williams Brazilian barbecues because, frankly, it was like as as we've had uh, we've had um, who have we had uh, Jonathan King, we've had uh, Webster and White Parker. Has said William is like basically getting a uh, getting a red card. It was essentially like we were down to ten men. He's that pointless. Paul, just before we wrap up for the day, do you want to? Uh, Let's just all of us stick the knife in on William because I don't think anybody wants him at the club. And do you know what? If nobody saw, if you're watching this, then you will have seen. But if you're listening to this as a podcast, you would have, you wouldn't have seen. So I'm going to just tell you the absolute shudder that I had to do there when Mike mentioned the idea of Gabriel Martinelli knocking on the door of Arteta's office and saying, "I'm going to go because you're playing William all the time." But Paul, away you go. <laughs> I know it's almost not worth it. Um... We waste so much energy. We've been wasting energy on talking about Willian and trying to understand why Arteta is playing him. I have not the faintest fucking clue. I don't know if it's maybe Edu and the Brazilian contact. I mean, like you know that that side of it. I have no idea. It's on for footballing reasons. There is absolutely no reason to bring Willian even on the bus. Honestly, like he shouldn't. He should not be even travelling with the club. There must be better things for him to do. Um, he should be on the bus, but the bus should it should be a, a bus where he's the only person. He should be the only person on the bus, and the bus should be rerouted to Skegness, and <laughs> and he should get a phone call from Arteta saying, "Oh, mate, I don't know how that's happened. Oh well, can't use you today. Maybe next week." And that happens every week. Yeah, but, but going back to I mean, going back to what you were saying about the season is, um, you know, this has been such a crazy season, and and. You know, we were literally flirting with relegation like seven or eight games ago. Um, like I said in the very beginning of this podcast, it's the hope that kills you. We've had a few, we had a run of games where it looked like we were starting to find our groove. The sum looked like it was, you know, greater than the, the sum of its parts. And um, the, the first half against Wolves, I think, you know, gave us a glimpse, you said, might be an outlier. I think it I think it gives us an idea of what we can come to expect. Honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do Mike's positive needs and hopes on this thing. And I'm going to say that I do think that we're getting better and better. We were unlucky with that first goal. It was a stupid error and they punished us for it. Um, and then we were on the back foot all the way through. Um, you know, um, Villa played well. They, they were solid in defence. We've been solid in defence. At times when our, when our attack is working together, it looks promising. I think if things, if it if we can break through, I think things will start to flow and I think we can fight our way up because here's the great thing about it is that teams like United and Liverpool and, and that lot down the road are all fucking up, left, right and centre, against shittier teams than Villa. Um, I think that the season is just its taking its toll on all the players um, in their bubbles. Um, you know, it's, it's there, it's kind of, I think it's there for everybody just to kind of, it's, 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 being shooken up so much that you know whether you land you know or snake eyes or <coughs> whatever the opposite of that is um is is down to chance and fine margins i can't i, I can't predict what's going to happen but i'm not going to be as negative as i as i was two months ago because i do think that there is a 
lights at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Sorry, that's and, and to do with Sorry about that. That's all right. And 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 I think we're we're getting up to the forty five minutes mark, so we'll probably wrap this up for the day. But what I would say is just my closing Jerry Springer esque thoughts is that if you're listening to us or if you're watching us to us live, like let's just I feel like we should just be writing off this season right now. Hey Joe um, life is, Did he? Yeah. Well, there you go. There's a possibility for excitement for next season. So, Joe, if you're listening to this post uh, the live um, podcast that we're doing in the pub, in the virtual pub, then you'll obviously know what the Newcastle score is. Hopefully, Joe <laughs> Willock's had an absolutely fantastic game. But um, life is too short, guys. We we need to accept that we're in a, a weird situation. As much as I am cheesed off about Arsenal, as much as they're going to ruin my weekend, I'm going to finish this podcast and I'm going to, I'm turning to rugby for crying out loud. I'm going to end up watching the Six Nations. I mean, no, I this is horrendous, but things aren't um, that bad. life is too short. You know, we all know that, I think we all knew deep down that this season was probably a busted flush before Christmas. You know, we just need to make sure that we bumble along. But what we need to start to see is some changes in certain personnel. And I just don't think that's going to happen until the summer. So for me, I'm still optimistic. I still have hope that Arteta can can turn us into a one of the best teams in the league. We need to just get out of this pandemic. We need to get out of this season and we need to just get on. So chin up, Arsenal fans. Lads, Mike, Mark, Paul, it's been an absolute delight just to chew the fat with you and uh, and to get some catharsis through the system. Thank you very much for coming on, Paul. Thank you. Up the gunners. Mark, good to see you as always, sir. Yes, yes, you too, mate. Look forward to meeting in uh, person at a game soon and oh, having a few beers. Yes, a little bit of uh, far too long. A little bit of an Australia in the Duchess would be lovely. Uh, Andrew Fife and his Ponzi wine, uh, he can have that if he wants. But uh, Mike, good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, guys. And uh, we will see you next time on the post-match pub. Catch you later for Leeds. <laughs>